Brothers and sisters, I bring you greetings from Naptown, Indianapolis, Naptown. And so, man, really glad to be with you. Just want to let you know that your pastors have been very, very, very gracious and kind and hospitable in the way that they have uh, treated me this week. And it's so good to be back at Cornerstone again and to see what God is doing. If you have your Bibles with you, if you would turn to Psalm 90, and I'm going to read the whole Psalm, Psalm 90, Psalm 90. 1 through 17. Psalm 90, 1 through 17. When you've arrived there, could you signify by saying amen? Amen. If you need a few minutes, say, hold on, preacher. That's all right. That's all right. uh, The table of contents is okay to use uh, in church. Uh, Psalm 90, I'm going to be reading from. A Psalm of Moses. Psalm 90. So if you could get there to Psalm 90. And I'll be reading... As I said, I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, which is the one I guess you guys use every week, and, and I appreciate as well. If you don't have your Bible, it's on the screens as well, but it reads like this. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You return mankind to the dust, saying, return descendants of Abraham, I'm sorry, descendants of Adam, for in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours in the night. You end their lives, they sleep, they are like grass that grows in the morning, in the morning it sprouts and grows, but in evening, by evening it withers and dries up, for we are consumed by your anger, we are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence, For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass away and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due due you. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands establish the work of our hands. And I want to preach for a few moments on the topic, reclaiming God's time, reclaiming God's time. Last year, uh, there was a uh, thing that happened, and it was a really big thing in the news and social media and and in the media, and it was uh, when a congresswoman named Maxine Waters uh, was in a Congress, uh, a Congress meeting and was actually asking questions of a man, and the man seemed to be trying to get around her questions. He's using a lot of things like, we're just so thankful for you, you know, what you've done in California, and, and all these things, and she stops him and just says, 
reclaiming my time. And then he, he, he goes on and he, he tries to continue to go around what it is that she's trying to talk about. And she comes back again and says, reclaiming my time. And, and this was because of the fact that she believed that she, with the time that she had to ask questions, he was wasting her time with speaking around the question that she was actually asking him. And I don't know where you are politically or where you are on this very thing, but it was a pretty interesting thing that happened. There were memes, right, reclaiming my time. My little girl, somebody bought my little girl a T-shirt that said reclaiming my time, and it was just a really big thing that was going on. And, 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 and the point of it was, as we said, is that Maxine Walters felt as though her time was being wasted. And a lot of us can relate to that, right? A lot of us, we live in a world and a time where our time is valuable, right? Time is money. Time is business. We don't want our time wasted, right? We don't want to be involved in things and conversations or meetings at work that actually don't are not productive, but are actually time wasters, right? That, that, that's the world that we live in today. Time, time, time. We got to move because people, we feel as though people are wasting our time. But I would suggest this morning that if we are honest with ourselves, we are so concerned about people wasting our time that we don't realize how much of God's time we waste. Y'all don't hear me today, that we are a people who are concerned about how our time is going and who's wasting our time and not realizing that the time that we actually have really isn't our time, but God's time. And so many times we are wasting that very time. In the text this morning, the psalmist is Moses and he's praying a prayer to God and some suggest that it is during the time that he is in the wilderness with the children of Israel and dealing with all of their stuff and how jacked up and messed up they are. And as he's living with the children of Israel, he's in the midst of that writing this psalm. It might even be that they're on the cusps of going into the land which Moses won't enter with them. Uh, and it's at this time possibly that Moses pins this psalm. This psalm speaks very much to us about God and about time and about the importance of time when it comes to God. Amen? And so in this psalm this morning, what I want us to understand, or as we, in this sermon this morning, what I want us to understand is, is that our time is not our own, but actually is God's time. And we need to make sure that we're claiming God's time to do things that actually matter to God for all eternity. Amen? And so what I want to do this morning is I want to show you three things in this text that I think are important for us to see if we're actually going to reclaim God's time. Three things. The first thing is the eternal nature of God. The eternal nature of God. The second thing I want us to see is the shortness of our lives. The shortness of our lives. And the third thing is our need for God's grace. Our need for God's grace. So first, the eternal nature of God. Look at the text in verse 2, which I read to you. He says, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. Moses is talking to God in this prayer, and Moses actually acknowledges uh, uh, what some people would call the eternality of God. Just a big theological word that means that God has been around forever. Right. That, that, that he starts and he says that Moses, uh, Moses is like before you created anything in the world, before you created the skies and water and animals and human life and the solar system and galaxies and all of these things and whatever else you could think of. God, you actually existed. 
Moses is like, and then Moses, notice he goes on even further in verse 2, because some people might think, well, maybe God, you existed uh, before you created things, but there had to be some time when you were created. But notice the text goes on in verse 2, and it says, from eternity to eternity, you are God. And what Moses is saying in that is, God has no birth certificate or no birthday. There, there has never been a time where God has not existed, that that. That always and in every, there's always been God. And that's hard for us to wrap our minds around, isn't it? Because we live in a world where things start and where things end, right? You, you start school on a certain day and you end on a certain day. If you're doing job uh, resumes, what you, you started a job at a certain time, you ended that job at a certain time. If you're in sports, there's a starting line in track and a finish line in track. When we look at life, a person is born on a certain day and a person dies on a certain day. But when it comes to God, God has no beginning or end. There has never been a time where God has not existed. And a lot of us are right now trying to wrap our minds around that. And instead of wrapping our minds around that, we need to be spending time worshiping God for who he is and how other he is than us. Amen. But get this, the text not only tells us that God has always existed, but the text shows us that God doesn't see time the way we see time. Look at verse four in the text. Moses moves on in verse four and he says, for in your sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by like a few hours in the night of the night. Moses is like, not only is God eternal in who he is, but as well, he doesn't see time the way that we see time. God sees a thousand years as though it was just yesterday or a few hours in the night because God is eternal outside of time. He looks in on time and can see everything. And that's good news for some of us because we need to understand that God is in control of time and we get frustrated, don't we, when God doesn't do things on our time. God, why aren't you moving now when I want you to move? And God is sitting back from time, not seeing time the way that you do. So don't trip when God doesn't do things on your timetable because he's on a whole different timetable. And, 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 so, and you know what else is interesting? Because God sees everything outside of time, some of the things that you're longing to see might not come until you're already dead. But in God's sight, time ain't been messed with because his time is outside of time. Amen? But, but, but hold on. So, so we see that. And, and what's interesting is when we talk about God being outside of time, that, that's, that, that speaks to a word that a lot of theologians talk about when they talk about the infinity of God. When we think about infinity, we think about a car, but, but the infinity of God. One source says the infinite nature of God simply means that God exists outside of and is not limited by time or space. Infinite simply means without limits. What Moses is helping us see is that the God of the universe is not like anybody else in all of the universe. He exists outside of time, outside of space. He is without limits. God is not controlled by the things that control us as we live in this world, but he actually is outside of this. And not only is he outside of the control, but he's actually the one controlling things. Right? So, so when we think that but in reality, you know what we do? We actually live our lives as though we are in control of our own destinies, don't we? Which actually leads me to my second point. Not only does Moses help us see about the eternal nature of God, 
But secondly, Moses helps us to see how short our lives really are with with the shortness of life. Notice verses 3 through 6 in the text. You return mankind to the dust, saying, return descendants of Adam. For in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. You end their lives. They sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows. By evening it withers and dries up. Notice some of this language that, that Moses is using as he's talking to God. He, he, he's talking, he says in verse 3, you return man to the dust, saying return descendants of Adam. We, we, we read that and we think back to Genesis chapter 3 when, when God proclaims a curse on mankind because of sin, saying that you were made from the dust and one day you're going to return to the dust. And so, so, so that seems to be pointing us back there. And then when you get to verse uh, 5, or I'm sorry, when you get to um, verse 5, he talks about that, 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 you're, that you're like, that we're like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows, but in the evening it withers and dries up. That our lives are like grass. You know what I mean? It grows fast, but then it dies fast, right? That, that, that's how short our lives really are. Moses even goes further in verse 10, go down to verse 10, and he says, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Now, this is not guaranteeing that everybody's going to live 70 or 80 years. This is more of an example of what maybe a lifespan would be, right? We know that there's some people that live longer, but a lot of people that live shorter. So God is not promising that everybody's going to live 70 or 80 years here. It's more of an example of what a lifespan could be, right? And, and, and so he's saying that that's about how long life is. And, and we think, and we like, man, 70, 80 years. Right, if you're young, like some of you, maybe there's some teenagers in here or or 20 year olds or whatever, you're like, man, like that's a long time, you know. But there's other people in here that see 70 or 80 coming, and they like, man, that really doesn't seem that long, you know, you know, and and that that kind of thing. And and so, um, but he helps them see nonetheless that life is short. And I love that this is this is a theme we see this even in Psalm 39, four through six, where the psalmist says. Lord, make me aware of my end and the number of my days, so I will know how short-lived I am. In fact, you, in fact, you have made my days just inches long, and my lifespan is as nothing to you. Yes, every human being stands as only a vapor. Yes, a person goes about like a mere shadow. Indeed, they rush around in vain, gathering possessions without knowing who will get them? Brothers and sisters, the, 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 the theme that what we need to understand is that our lives on this earth are short. Even if you live 80 years, that is nothing in the grand scheme of time. That you and I are not made to be here forever. We are here for a season and gone for a season. And that season is a lot shorter than what we want to admit that it is. But I like how it, verse 39, or Psalm 39, verse 6, it, it ends. He says, indeed, they rush around in vain, gathering possessions without knowing who will get them. Can you see us in this text? Building up our little kingdoms, having our savings accounts and 
401k and 403b. I'm not against that. It's a good thing to have. But, but we've been so consumed by that that we're just stacking up, stacking up, stacking up for actually somebody else is going to enjoy. That we're living our whole lives anxious about what we're doing with our money and our resources, building our kingdoms and buying this and buying that. And in reality, in the end, somebody else will get it. That car that you've been saving for, somebody else going to drive it. That house that you, somebody else going to live in it. Like, like in reality, we will not last forever. Have you ever heard the story about the man who died and asked his wife to bury him with $20,000? You ever heard that story? The man, the man dies. His wife's at the funeral. She's there with a friend sitting there. It's not my story, but I'm sharing it. Um, so sitting there. And the wife says to the lady, hey, when my husband died, he made me promise him that I would bury him with $20,000. And the lady's like, did you do it? She said, yeah. He said, he made me promise. And she said, I wrote him a check. Some of y'all get that on the way out. But, But the point is, is that no matter what we have, it will not be ours forever. But why is it that life is so short? We were supposed to live forever, right? But but, but Moses answers that even in this psalm. When you get to verse 7, the psalm takes a dark shift in the way that it goes, even a dark place in the psalm. And in verse 7, he says, For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years or even if we are strong 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed they pass away and we fly away. Who can understand the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due your name. Can can you see Moses who has been in the wilderness for 40 years and seen death after death after death because of sin and and, and the pain and the sorrow of what Moses saw living in the wilderness? Can you see him? But then can you see us as we live in a world that is cursed because of sin and, and we see death and pain and destruction and we're like why is it God you ever feel that way like God as you look it's another school shooting there's another police shooting there's another racist uh issue there there's another uh person over in um another country that's killed for their faith and you're like why God because as we live in this world brothers and sisters who are even us who are saved by grace through faith We're still affected because of the sin that curses the world in which we live. And that's why life is so short. And even as life is so short, if we're honest with ourselves, it comes with a lot of trouble. I know that's not the normal religious answer. Most of us want to live in how you, I'm highly favored and flavored in the Lord and God's been so good and I, I woke up this morning and my, my bed wasn't my cooling bed and then all of that. Some of y'all don't even know what that is. But, but anyway, but in reality, if we're honest with ourselves, life is filled with hard stuff.
You know, Moses' words in this psalm are a reality check for us. They're a reality check for us because if we're honest with ourselves, we live as though we actually control our destinies. We make plans and decisions as though we're going to, like, uh, we make plans and decisions as though we're in charge of our next year, next month, next day, even next moment. Not realizing that it's only if God allows our breath to continue in our bodies that we will do anything. How arrogant and prideful is it we live our lives as though we control our destiny? James 4, 13 through 16 speaks to this. James says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is what what your life or what your life will be? For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while. See this theme? This continues, right? Even in the New Testament. Uh, like, Like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and such boasting is evil. Have you ever thought about the fact that we make plans and, and, and live as though we control our own destiny as being evil? Well, no, that's not really evil. You know, those people out there killing people are evil. and that No, 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 this is evil. Okay? But do you see yourself in this text? With your plans of who you're going to marry? How many kids you're going to have? We're going to have two kids and a picket fence and a, and a shih tzu dog. And, and this. And that. Like, do you see yourself? Where we're going to live? What job I'm going to have? What status I'm going to be to by the time I'm 40? I see it in myself. Even yesterday we were having a conversation and talking about debt and how we want to be here by this time. And, and so many times we're just doing that and not even thinking that God could take my life today. Or God could allow a, a, a horrific accident that could change my ability to preach or lead or, or work or whatever. Now, don't go the opposite direction. I'm not saying that planning is bad. Planning is a good thing. God is a planning God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God planned our salvation before the foundation of the world. And so God is a planner. And so planning is not a bad thing. But what we need to do is we need to make sure that our plans are in pencil instead of ink. Because whatever we plan will not come to pass unless the Lord wills. That's what the text said. We should say, if the Lord wills. That, uh, but, but you know something? The Lord wills is not that ma- like a magical statement. You know how we, like, we say what we want to do? Well, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, right? And what we're doing in that is, God, you know, I, you know I'm really, you know. Because we think that what's going to happen is God's going to go ahead and let us do what we want to do because we said if the Lord wills. Listen, y'all. God is not a genie lamp you can rub. He's a sovereign king that you submit to. If the Lord wills is our acknowledging God's control over our lives. If the Lord wills is us making our plans in pencil instead of ink. If the Lord wills is us acknowledging that God might not even let me get through this service. But if it's your will, God, this will happen. 
We cannot control the future. Only God can make plans that he guarantees. We must live in light of the fact that we will not exist forever. And we must live in light of this truth and use our time to actually glorify God. Which actually leads me to my third point. So not only do does the psalmist Moses help us see that the eternal nature of God and the shortness of our lives, but third and finally, he helps us see we need God's grace. We need God's grace. Now, when we get to verse 12, the psalm takes another turn. In light of all that Moses has just said about how eternal God is and how short our very lives are, he, he, in verses 12 through 17, Moses actually makes some requests of God. He's like, man, this, you are eternal. Our life is short. Man, we live under, you know, the, how, how the, the wickedness of the world and, and the decay because of sin and, and all of that. And then he's like, man, he, he, he asked six things of God. And what I want to do is I want to just from those six things, give us three points of application that, that I want us to see from verses 12 through 17. The first one is we need God's grace because we need God's wisdom. We need God's grace because we need God's wisdom. Look at verse 12 in the text. Moses says, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Moses is like, God, our days are short in this sin-cursed world, and we need you to teach us to know that that is true, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. And if you could teach us to know, because we all live, yeah, I know I'm going to die, but we need to really be in our hearts, because if it's really in our hearts, then we'll know how to be wise and to do what we should do with the time that we actually have left. That, God, we need you to give us wisdom to know my life is short, and therefore, God, give me wisdom to know how to use my time that I actually have left. We need to be taught this. I love Ecclesiastes 7 and 2. It says, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will take it to heart. Now, when we read that, that doesn't make sense. How is it better to go to a funeral than a party? Most of us, it is all of us probably who have been to a funeral and been to a party, and to all of us, that doesn't make any sense, right? Like, how is it better for me to go to a funeral that's, that shows death and sorrow and pain than to go to a party which brings enjoyment? Well, the point is, is that as we go to funerals and we see death, it actually makes us take a pause on our lives, recognizing that one day we're going the exact same way that person went, and then asking ourselves, what am I doing with my life that I have less? See, when we don't see death, we live as though we're invincible. But when we actually see death, it's actually a grace to us to actually recognize how short life is and recalculate what we're doing with the time that we actually have. If we, you know, I think if we thought more, this includes me, I'm going to put me in this. If we thought more about how short our lives actually are, how much more will we use our time for stuff that's going to matter 10,000 years from now? 
If we think about how short the amount of time that God gives us to be on earth, how would our conversations change with our coworkers? How would our conversations change with our neighbors? How would our desire to pour into the next generation who hopefully will outlive us and continue on what we taught them in the faith. How, how much more would we do that? How much more would we use our money for things that will matter 20,000 years from now if we actually recognized how low our time is here? Now, I'm not saying when it comes to money that you can't enjoy. The Bible tells us that God gives us money to enjoy. I'm not saying that that's wrong. So if you were at Home Depot this week and got like a home project, I'm not telling you that you have to like take that off the list and decide not to do it, right? There's a, there's a place for enjoyment. But the question is, if you look at your whole life and you look at all that you do, does your life lean way more further towards building your kingdom in this earth that you think is going to sustain forever? Or does it lean towards seeing your life as a short vapor and your time being used for things that will matter millions of years from now? That's the question. I'm not, I'm not telling you that you can't watch TV. I'm not, I'm not telling myself that. I'm not telling you you can't relax or take a vacation. But what I am saying is what Paul says, even in Ephesians 5.16, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Are our lives marked by spending the time that we have doing things that will matter for all of eternity? Second application. We need God's grace because we need God to establish our work in the world. We need God's grace because we need God to establish our work in the world. I think I heard that you guys are going through Titus and talking about good works and about works and things of that nature, if I'm not mistaken. And so if you notice verse 17 in this psalm, Moses says, let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Not, so not only get this, hear me out, not only do we need to know our shortness of life so that we will do something valuable with our time, but verse 7 helps us see we need the Lord to establish the work of our hands. Listen, just as, it got, just as God is in control of how much time we have, he's also in control of how much fruit comes from the things that we do with our time. Brothers and sisters, if your work here in West Atlanta is going to be bring fruit, it's not going to come from strategizing. It's ultimately, it's not going to come from strategizing. It's going to come from God blowing on it. If God doesn't blow on your evangelism, on your discipleship, on this local church, on what you do with your money, then it will not produce fruit. And I need to hear that because so many times as a pastor, I'm strategizing. Man, if I do this, if I do that, if I do this, if I do that, and, and, and so, and I'm just, ah, I'm so forgetting the fact that if God doesn't blow on my plans and actually establish what it is that I'm doing, it will not produce anything. And so we need God's grace. We need God to actually establish what we're doing and make it valuable, to make it bring fruit. Because we can be faithful, but we can't make it be fruitful. We need God's grace because we need God to establish the work of our hands. But third and finally, 
we need God's grace because we need God's return. We need God's return. Look at verses 13 through 15 in the text. He says, Lord, how long? He's like, I've seen, you, you read what he said in 11 through 17 about all this, but how long, he says, turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen adversity. Moses is like, basically, Lord, how long? Like, have compassion on us. You know, can, can, you, can you see that? Do you feel that? As you live in this sin-cursed world? Do you have that how long? And I think a lot of times we don't have that how long because we're so excited about what's happening in the world. And we, it, it, we're so, we built, built our stuff so good that we just feel as though, man, if I lose, like, this is it. Like, I'm there. And we've got comfortable. We've, as one person said, we have a cruise ship mentality instead of a battleship mentality. And as we continue to have a cruise ship mentality where we hold on more and more to this world and our accomplishments, we'll more and more move away from the how long. And I feel that in my own heart. Is there anybody else can be real? Like I, in my own heart, I can feel that. But you're like, how long, Lord? And then he says, satisfy us in the, satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love. Moses is like, satisfaction will only come from God's love. That Moses understands that satisfaction is only found as we receive the love of God. The people of Israel have looked for satisfaction in manna and meat. But Moses knows that satisfaction only comes from knowing God's love. And let me pause there and help us understand because as Christians, we forget that. I forget that. I need to hear that. That, 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 that God has made me in such a way and you in such a way that our ultimate satisfaction will only come as we experience God in his love. Not the things of this world that continue to lie to us and make us think, if I just had this, everything would be okay. And maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. And, and you don't even know anything about God's love. And you're looking to build your life and your identity and your status on what you, what, what you have in this world. I want you to know that it will not work. And if you're honest with yourself, you know deep inside that it won't work. You know that, that, that it will not bring what it is that you and I are longing for. Listen, the only, you only will have satisfaction as you rest in God through faith in Jesus Christ. As you recognize that you are a sinner. And that, that you deserve to go to hell, but that God sent his son Jesus to die for sin and raise from the dead. And you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus alone, not in your works, not in your attainments, not in your baptism, not in your church attendance, but in what Jesus did alone by dying and raising from the dead. That's where satisfaction will come. It will come through that. A lot of us, there's a lot of people that are like, you know, well, no, man, I'm, like I said, we'll live forever. I'm, I'm, I don't have to worry about it. I'm in control. Or at least we live as though that's true. But you know what? I think if all of us are honest, every day we have things 
that remind us that we're not going to live for those aching backs, right? So you know, those, those, uh, you know, those hurting feet and, and all, all, all of that, uh, uh, all of those things, the money that's spent on plastic surgery <laughs> shows that people can see the decay that is a reality of us because of sin. You know, I, I had, you know, and you don't think about it until stuff happens, do you? You know, I, I, recently I was playing basketball at church, and I'm, I'm 36 now. I was 35 when this happened and went out on the court, no stretching. You know, took a couple jump shots. You know, they, they called teams. We start the game. About three minutes into the game, I go to make a move, and I hear this pop in my calf. I'm like, oh, man, I done tore my ACL. I mean, I done tore my Achilles tendon and, and, and all of this. And it, it was one of them type of, you know, them type of injuries where, like, you might walk from me, and he's like, man, let me get my stuff. I'm going home. Like, not that one where you kind of waited. I mean, it was bad. And, and, and you, you start thinking, like, man, like, this could affect this, and this could affect this, and this could affect because Because it's as those times happen that we really recognize how temporal we really are, right? But, but what we're longing for is the same thing that Moses is longing for in this text. And to be satisfied with God's love. And in verse 14, make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us. For as many years as we have seen adversity. And those are good prayers, brothers and sisters, to pray for those things. But you know something? Even as we ask for those things now, our, our faith and our ultimate longing should be that those things are actually going to come in all their future, or all their, in all their, all their grandeur at a future time when Jesus comes back. That as we long for, for to be to rejoice for as many days as you've humbled us and for as many years as we've seen adversity, like, like we can ask for that, but as we ask for that, we have to be asking in faith knowing that that ultimately will not come until Jesus comes back and makes all things new. And that's what we should be longing for in our hearts. We shouldn't ultimately be longing for a for things being fixed now, but knowing how God is going to fix things in the future, right? That, that we should be longing for the day when Jesus is going to come back and all of our days will be filled with joy, that we will fully see and experience God's love in every single moment, that the days that are coming in the future, it makes me think about Paul, even in Romans 8.18, where he said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is, to be, that is going to be revealed to us. Uh, of 2 Corinthians 4.17-18, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory, so we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I think about weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I wish I had some people that were excited about what's coming. Brothers and sisters, trouble won't last always. And, the, and that has been secured through the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. It's the proof that trouble won't last always, that a day is coming when all things will be made new. And that's what we look forward to even as we live in this world. And we look forward to that reality because we look back at the cross. And Moses looked forward to that reality too because he looked forward to the cross. Right? Amen? And so that is what we're longing for. That's what we're, we're waiting on Jesus' return. 
But even as we wait, it's okay to pray and ask for those things now. And God does give grace even now as we wait. Because some people are like, preacher, hold on a second. Like, I get the heaven thing and I believe that, but now I, need some, I need something now. I hear everything you're saying, like, I, I, but I need something now. Well, I want you to know that even as we wait on God, God is still with us. Look at verse 1 in Psalm 90 as we get ready to close. Verse 1 says, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. So even as we wait, brothers and sisters, on God's return where he's going to make all things new, God is actually a refuge for us even now. Like right now, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing on your job. I don't know what you're facing in your home. I don't know what you're facing in school. But I want you to know that if you are in Christ, God is with you even now. Even as you wait on what God is going to do in future. So a couple quick things I'll leave you. Number one, for you to think about, how do you see God? How do you see God? Is God some being that is handcuffed in the heavens, unable to sustain us, and not caring about the things that we face in everyday life, and not, pro- not going to fulfill his promises that he's promised? Is that, is that how you see God? Or do you see God for who he really is, the sovereign king in control of all of life, and everything is under his care? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a sovereign being in control of your own destiny? Now, obviously, you don't know that, but do you live that way? Or do you see yourself as one whose life is but a vapor that will evaporate sooner or later? How do you see your time? Do you see your time as something that is in your hands to do what you want with it or a stewardship that's to be used for the glory of God in the world. And lastly, if we all need to hear all of these, me included, are you longing for eternity? Do you live your life only focusing on the problems of today or rejoicing in what God has promised in the future which is guaranteed to be ours because Jesus came and died and rose again. So questions to ask yourself. Believer, if you're here and you're not a Christian, and you're like, man, like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I'm hearing what you're talking about, and I'm just like, man, you're so right. I want you to know there's good news. The good news is that you don't have to continue to live on the wrong side of Jesus. But that God has made a way, that Jesus died and rose again, and if you will turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, God will reconcile you to himself, put the Holy Spirit in you, empower you with hope to live in a world that doesn't make sense outside of Christianity. So brothers and sisters, let's go using our time for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you so much just for how good and gracious and kind you are. I pray, God, that this word will speak to me and your people, and it would change the trajectory of how we see you, how we see ourselves, how we see our time, and how we see eternity. Father, be with this church. Use them mightily to be about your work for your kingdom and your glory. Help me to do the same, Lord, in Jesus' name.